Um, so this is the twelfth uh, week of this series that we've been doing called uh, uh, "How to Be Human." It's the last week. Next week uh, we begin our uh, what we call our Advent series, where we're just meditating on the, the significance and remembering the significance of Jesus coming into the world as a child. So uh, last week we kind of you know made sure you guys all knew that like even though there's the eleventh week of the series, we're not inventing commandments. Um, there are a couple uh, thoughts that that sort of emerged as we taught through the ten invitations, the ten guidelines uh, that we wanted to impart to you guys. So last week we wanted to address uh, those of us who maybe had not left Egypt, you know, the, the, the narrative that's going on through these 10 words, these 10 guidelines, is that God has set his people free. And that is a critical part of the narrative. It's a critical part of, of remembering the 10 invitations, the 10 guidelines. And we, we talked just about what it meant to be free and, and to, what it meant to remember that God set us free. And it was something that we did not do for ourselves. God did it for us. And today, I want to wrap up the series by talking about another very, very critical uh, idea that's kind of lurking beneath the circuit background, lurking beneath the surface of these 10 guidelines. And I want to just introduce it to you through a statement. And the statement is basically this. To be human is to be called to a mission and a purpose. Can we just read that together? To be human is to be called to a mission and a purpose and a purpose. And I want to just explore that, uh, what that means and, and why we believe that and how you might do that in, in today's world. So I want to start by looking at the text that uh, Ron uh, read to us and just drawing out some things. Again, this is God speaking to, to this guy Moses, and Moses is going to tell these things to the Israelites, uh, God's people. And he just says, listen, you saw what I did to the Egyptians and how I lifted you up on eagles' wings and brought you to me. It's just beautiful poetic language about God rescuing his people. And then he says, listen, so now if you faithfully obey me and stay true to my covenant, that's the 10, these are the 10 things. He said, listen, be true to these guidelines, be true to this instruction. If you do that, you'll be my most precious possession out of all the peoples since the whole earth belongs to me. And then he says, you will be what? A kingdom of priests. Everybody say kingdom of priests. Amen. Kingdom of priests for me and a holy nation. And then he says Moses, to Moses, like these are the words you should say to the Israelites. So uh, what I want to do is focus on this phrase, kingdom of priests. And we're going to start with the basics because I believe that has implications for today, for us today. So I want to start by just walking through what it meant for God to say, be a kingdom of what? Priests, right. So priests, let's start. And I've been, I was thinking about this just this way and to keep it from getting too much, uh, too bogged down with religious language, I'd like to just suggest to you the way to think about this term. Uh, when God says you'll be a kingdom of priests, priests in a very vague sense and even in a biblical sense, they do a few things that are critical. They have a job. It's a specific role. The first thing is I would just say they're supposed to be for humans to God. For humans to God. And, and that means some significant things, and, and it'll unfold as I kind of go through this list. The next thing, uh, they are to explain and translate. Mostly things about worship. So if you're reading the Bible, the priests are off, often the people who are explaining things to the people about worship. They're like, hey, God told us to do this thing. Uh, sometimes we don't understand it, and so they will explain it and translate it for the people. Uh, the next thing, 
They are to vouch for the people to God. So uh, what it literally means, if you could just think about this, when you vouch for a friend, when you vouch for somebody, a lot of times what the priests are meant to do is they're meant to go to God and say, listen, God, we know, uh, we know, like, we know he's crazy, right? We know he's hard to get along, but he's not that bad. He's not that bad. And so literally what the priests will do, uh, sometimes through symbols, but sometimes even through prayers, they are meant to vouch for the people to God. And uh, there's a very powerful word that kind of starts to encompass all of these concepts, and it is the word mediate. The priests are meant to be mediators between God and people. And if you just think about, if you've ever seen a mediation, uh, uh, you know, a legal mediation, or even just like relationally, like mediators, they just come between two people and they talk about, they talk about the other people, you know, person in a way that makes it easier to understand. Listen. Listen, you need to understand their intentions here. They, they, they want this and, and they want this. And they do this for the people to God. So they really take what's going on in a community and then they take that and, and through prayer and through other action, they, they, they literally mediate pe between people and God. And God says, listen, this is who you're supposed to be. And sometimes we get focused on the idea of priests as like just set apart or just they get fancy outfits. But there's specific roles that priests play in a community. And God says, you're a kingdom of priests. So listen, folks, uh, what was true of Israel in a lot of these texts becomes true of us if you're a member of the church. So now we would say, listen, we are meant to be a nation, a community of priests. So what's that mean? Well, it means, first of all, that in, in some way, we kind of in, inhabit and, and act out these activities. Now, I'm going to get back to this in a second. So uh, I want to unpack a little bit more of this. What's great in, in the Old Testament, that, remember the Old Testament, a lot of it, the Bible, written uh, in pre-literate times, meaning like the, it's not in a book. And so when the writers, particularly the Old Testament, they, they want to communicate something and you can't put it in a pamphlet, right? Because language is just like it's clay tablets. And like, oh my gosh, I'm going to carry this thing around, you know? You can't put it on a website. So how do you tell people these truths? Well, you do these things like visually. And so in the Bible, God uh, tells the nation of Israel to make this apparent visually. It's really, really cool. So... Um, in Exodus, if you don't know this, God's people are wandering around the desert. You know, they've set, been set free from Egypt. And God's like, listen, you got to go through the desert. I'm going to take you into a land. Um, but listen, every time you uh, take off uh, walking, at the end of the, the day, you need to set up camp. And the Israelites had a very specific camp. And uh, I just kind of crafted some visuals. There's this thing called the tabernacle. God said to build it. That's literally where his presence resided in the tabernacle. It was a tent. And every night, the priests were responsible for setting up the tabernacle and caring for it. And so God says, listen, I want to drive home this, this thing that you're mediators. So the presence is at the center of the camp. And then around the tabernacle, God says, the priest, you set up camp first. And so literally, there's different families of priests and they're meant to surround the tabernacle on four sides. 
He's like, that is sort of the first symbolic layer of this thing. And you care for the tabernacle when you tend to it. And all around, by the way, is wilderness. And wilderness is chaos. And wilderness is danger. And wilderness is that big, bad old world outside. And then God says, listen, okay, so around the priests, guess who sets up camp there? Everybody else. And so he literally says, listen, okay, now everybody else in the nation, everybody else in God's people, you set up around the priests. And when you just look at that, what you realize is that the priests are in between what? God's presence and the people. And so literally God is saying, listen, for the people to come to the presence of God, you have to come what? Through the priests. They are mediating the relationship between God and the people. Ah, but what does God say in the text? He says, who is the kingdom of priests? Everybody is. So even though God says, listen, set apart these priests, set apart these families of priests, in another way, you guys are all meant to be mediators between God and who? Between God and the world and chaos and everybody who is outside the church. And so he says, listen, my presence is in the center. Everybody sets up around it. But the whole point is that the world and the wilderness and chaos is meant to come to me through who? Us. We are now the mediators between God and the whole world. And he lays that out in this text. And he says, okay, this is what it means to be the people of God. We're mediators. We're translators. We're vouching for our crazy friends to God. But then what, what also happens in the Bible is uh, the Bible is very helpful and God is very helpful because he gives us um, artistic language too. So he, he has this image of, listen, you're being a kingdom of priests, but I want to throw out another way that he talks about our role and our, our, the idea of living on mission. Um, there's a guy named Isaiah who's a prophet and, and he uh, translates some words from God to God's people. And in Isaiah 49, uh, he writes these words from God. This is God speaking. It is not enough since you're my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob to bring back the survivors of Israel. That's just basically like, listen, um, I, I need to kind of restart and, and rescue my people again. But this is the significant part. Hence, I will also, also appoint you, God's people, as what? A light to the nations. And in the Old Testament, the nations always means like non-Jewish people, Gentile people, the world. And then he says, so that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. You see, God has this whole earth agenda for his salvation, his rescue. And he told his people in Exodus, listen, you're going to be a kingdom of priests. Then he introduces this beautiful image. He says, you're going to be a light to the nations. A light to the nations so that the nations can sort of wake up, see the light, and, and can embrace this God who wants to restore and rescue everything. Tracking with me so far? Okay, so uh, Jesus comes around and comes along, and Jesus actually picks up this light metaphor. 
uh, and we heard it again in, in the text that Ron read. And let me read it again in case you've forgotten it. Um, Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is speaking to his followers. And he says, you followers, you church, you disciples, you people who are here today, you are what? You're the salt of the earth. But if salt loses its saltiness, how will it become salty again? I become salty when I'm in traffic, but I don't think that's what Jesus meant right there. It's good for nothing except to be thrown away and trampled under people's feet. So Jesus says, listen, listen, people, my followers, people who are following me, church, kingdom of God, people, listen, you're supposed to be salt. There's an identity thing there. If you're not being salt, he's saying, I don't know what you're good for. You have to be salt. So, then he, but then he connects us to this Old Testament uh, imagery. You are the light of the world. That's the Isaiah language. And then uh, check out the movement here. He says, a city on top of a hill can't be hidden. So he starts with this community image. A city on a hill can't be hidden. And it's connected to light of the world. Now, like, uh, I, I don't think that we really can like latch on to this image in an era where we can, where light's everywhere, you know? When, when we have street lights and, and we're, uh, you know, I mean, I think we taste it like when the hurricane came and all of a sudden a lot of us were, were without power. Light becomes much more significant when dark is a reality. And so when he's saying this, this think of the image in people's minds of like, you're traveling in the wilderness. There are no street lights in the wilderness. And the wilderness is a scary place back then. And you see in the distance, the lights of a city. And what do you think that light communicates to you? Safety, security, home, shelter, food. And at the very base level, it says, let's go this way. Let's go this way. And so he starts with this communal image, a city, many lights. And then he, he, he comes into this very personal thing. Um, neither do people light a lamp. So now you're in your home. You don't light a lamp and put it under your basket. Instead, you put it on the top of a lampstand, lampstand and it shines on all who are in the house, all who are in the house. The light is for everybody. And then he says, in the same way, let your what? Light shine before people so that they can see the good things you do and praise your Father who is in heaven. So Isaiah is like, listen, you, we're supposed to be a light uh, for, for everybody to see. And, and God says, you're a kingdom of priests. Everybody's supposed to come and come to find out about my presence through the people of God. And then Jesus kind of has this thing where like, man, that, like, there's this light thing, but now there's this other thing, salt, right? So I want to be clear, like a lot of this is going to be crafted around people who would say, listen, yeah, I'm some, at some level, I'm a follower of Jesus. Right? If, if you're here and you're checking out faith, you're not even sure where you fall in this continuum. It's like, okay, just like, listen to this. But to be human is to live life with a mission and a purpose. And God has said, listen, your mission and your purpose is to be a kingdom of priests, light of the world. And then Jesus adds salt to that. And a lot of us get, get kind of like, okay, like, man, Eric's gonna go out and tell us to go preach to our friends. And, and, and some of us are like, okay, what does it mean to be light of the world? And what I want to do is, is just explore these images a little bit because every time I just lean into the images of Jesus' words, I feel like um, something good happens in my heart. And so uh, let's look at light first. Um, so again, light uh, is kind of like, in the daytime, it's kind of like not a big deal, right? 
which is another light. Light only becomes necessary when what? When it's dark, all right? So if the lights come down, you know, all of a sudden, this light becomes real significant. I actually ran into the teaching platform in the morning because <laughs> it was not. So like, think about that in, in the metaphor of, of, of living your life with a mission and a purpose and you're supposed to be the light of the world. God says, listen, you should be a place. Your life should be in such that people who need safety and shelter and security and direction can say, oh, there's a light over there. Let's go that way. And this has both a individual sort of uh, angle. Let's bring the lights up before I hurt myself. So how is your individual life looking? Do people look at your life and they say, there's safety there. There's shelter there. There's security there. Are you a person of love and compassion? Are you a safe person? And then there's a communal element. How, how is E3 doing? We want to be a place that is safe and a place where people can feel secure and people, people can feel uh, like cared for. And then we also say, listen, uh, if you need a direction, this is the way to go. We'll show you the way. And, you know, you guys may have heard a lot of uh, sort of other, you know, things that just we need to keep in mind. Listen, don't blame the dark if the dark's out there being dark. Blame the light that's not shining bright enough. Don't blame the dark people for, for, for needing direction. Don't blame the world out there for needing direction. That's our job. Just show them. All right? So how is your life doing with being a light. Now, the other imagery. He says, you are the salt of the earth, right? And, uh, and salt is, is really interesting. Um, so let's have a little quiz time. How many, how many, different, how many different taste areas do humans have? Taste areas, five. Anybody can, can anybody name them? Wait, hold on. Sweet, salty, bitter. Umami. Ch chicken wings. Half credit, half credit. Sweet, salty, uh, bitter, Umami, I have it written down because I'm not that sophisticated. Sour, okay? So, uh, this is what's fascinating about salt. Um, it's a preservative, right? So you can pack things in it to, to, to keep them fresh longer or to, you know. But salt is also a flavor enhancer. So in other words, uh, if you add a little bit of salt to something, a little bit of salt. Uh, what salt does is it actually reduces bitterness and it actually enhances sweet. If you put salt on watermelon, you raise your hand. Yeah, I cannot get in your club, but I'm not, on, not down with this. But I understand it in, in theory. Somebody else kind of used the example of like, if anybody ever salted a grapefruit, which I would not do that either. There you go. A little bit of salt enhances this flavor. A lot of salt 
will do something different. A lot of salt on something will actually suppress sweetness, duh, and enhance umami. If you wonder what umami is, the best thing I would tell you, uh, it's kind of hard for me to grasp even, but like umami is like steak. It's savory. And so when you have a well-salted steak, oh my gosh. But this is what salt is. Pure salt, even though it is a flavor profile of humanity, pure salt is not really meant to be, uh, it's not meant to have like a taste of its own. It enhances what's already there. And so when Jesus says, you're the salt of the earth, I feel like Jesus is saying, look, listen, you're meant to go to people's lives that you know, and you're meant to bring out the God flavors of their life. You are meant to kind of name things in people's lives, and when they talk about things that, that, that bring them joy or bring them love and bring, or, or, or when they express compassion, that's when you go, hey, oh, man, God loves that you do that thing. God loves when you do that thing. That's, that's, that's the heart of God right there. And instead, like I think we get this metaphor and, and, some, and, and these two things and, and somehow we get this translated when we start talking about being on mission and purpose of the world and being the light of the world, that it always means I need to go verbally tell people about God. And I think what these remind me of, like it's, it's more, more than the words we say, it's the life we live. So is your life, and notice I didn't say the light had to be perfect. I just said it needs to be on. If it's dark outside, the light does not have to be like a spotlight. It, it, it can be just a flicker, but you go, oh, it's over there. I need to go that direction. And, and here, like you don't need to say, okay, like, okay, well, how do you feel about Jesus? Let me walk you through all the doctrines. Do you understand Jesus, right? Sometimes you just had to be friends with someone and go, man, that thing you love, that's God. God is active in your life. I want to bring out the God flavor in the world, the God flavor in your life. And that's what it means to be on mission and on purpose in the world. You see, we don't all have the gift of literally um, powerfully like telling people about Jesus and then having them just like fall on their knees and, and, and say, just take me, Lord. I mean, that happens. But sometimes I think we just go, well, that, I guess that's only for people who have that gift. I don't need to do anything. Jesus said, no, you're all in this together. And you're all a kingdom of priests. You're all standing between the world, your friends, and God. And we're to vouch for them and to usher them. Come on through this. Come on through this. Come on through me. And let me show you this God by being light and salt. So what I'm going to do in just the last couple minutes uh, is I actually want to get like super, super practical. Because again, this is about really like our lives. It's not about a formula. It's not about being salesmen for Jesus. It's literally, I think, listen, about living the life that God has lived us to lead, knowing that we're a kingdom of priests, knowing that the, we're the light, knowing that we're the salt. So, Here's what I think this looks like to me. I'm just going to walk you through some questions that I asked myself one time. Other people in this community have asked themselves this time. The first question is simply this. Uh, what am I passionate about? What am I passionate about? What are you passionate about? God has given you passions and interests that keep you up at night. 
Anybody ever do anything that like you're like, you start doing an activity and you look up and like, how did five hours go by? And naps don't count. God has given you passions. They're not my passions. They're yours. And those passions can become an entry point to make your light burn and to make your salt, salt, salty. And don't think that, oh, these are only like the churchy things. No, 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 no. You like to hunt? Guess what? That can be a tool for light and salt. I know people in this, in this community, they love to play video games. But they do that with an eye of saying, we are going to actually be mediators and we're going to use the, the, the passion for gaming uh, as a way to bring people from out, the outside world kind of into and maybe through to show you this God. What are your passions? And they're not mine. They're yours. The second question, what has God entrusted to you? And at E3, we always kind of talk about it first in terms of time, talents, and treasures. So listen, we've all been entrusted with uh, some kind of uh, time on our hands, some kind of treasures that, that uh, we've been given through jobs or whatever. We're not talking about that right now. I want to talk about your talents. Every single person in this room has, given, has been given a gift. They're, you're just better at something than other people. You just are. And then a lot of us have taken that gift and we've developed it over time. And now you're a lot better at whatever that thing is that you've been entrusted with. You're better than anybody else. And you can either just live that out to go to work each day or you can leverage that gift to say, I'm, a, I'm part of a kingdom of priests. The world's coming to God through me. I'm light and I'm salt. So uh, this is what this looks like. If you've never heard of this phrase, it's called spiritual gifts. And, and what I love to tell people about spiritual gifts is there's nobody in this room that has none of them. You've all been given something. And there's nobody in this room that has all of them. And what I want to do is show you, uh, we're going to put this on social, uh, but listen, there's two, there's tests that you can take. And the first test uh, I would say is, is called the fivefold survey at fivefoldsurvey.com. It's, it's, it's literally kind of groups people into five categories to put it in non-church language, I would say entrepreneurs, okay, caregivers, um, cheerleaders, teachers, and truth tellers. And you should just take it and see where you fall on that. Because God has given that, that, that specific personality to you for a reason. The second one is... Uh, uh, just a, a longer survey of, of spiritual gifts. And uh, there's a lot of spiritual gifts, you know. And so take these things. And what I hope you find is that my, my end goal is that you're like, well, man, I, I crunch numbers really well. Surely that's not spiritual. No, everything is spiritual. Maybe you can crunch numbers for a friend who's struggling with their budget sometime. You think that's light of the world stuff? You think that's salt being salty stuff? Yeah, it is. Maybe you can come to a staff member and say, listen, I've got gifts. I, 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 make, I make order out of chaos. Please, if you make order out of chaos, can you come talk to me? 
administration is a gift. And it can all be light and it can be salt and it can be used to bring your friends closer to this God. Okay? Now, that's the gifts part of it. Um, we got a few more minutes and I want to show you another part of this. Because there's what we call a strengths part. The church is notorious for asking people to volunteer for anything. Like, 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 we need volunteers in the kids' ministry. Listen, you don't want me volunteering in the kids' ministry because I'm not very good at it. I did okay raising my kids. But raising yours, please. <laughs> the other part of this gift thing is that we all have things that, like areas that we're just really, really good at. And, and I thought this would be a great, I thought of a great way to illustrate this. And so I've got my, my volunteers, they should be, uh, miraculously appearing from backstage. <laughs> so the church is notorious for saying, just come serve and we're going to put you anywhere we need you, whether you are good at working with kids or not. And that's okay. But I want to suggest to you that there's an image here that I think is really, really helpful. And so guys, do, do what it is you do. Okay, so listen, um, John, you know, Jonathan here has, uh, he plays just about every instrument, but he has put time in on guitar. You see him playing piano too. That is his strength. That's where he belongs. That's his niche. Okay, uh, Carson, you know, time in on the drums, gifted that way, strength. Bryce plays multiple instruments too, but listen, he's leaning into this thing. Cody sings, plays guitar. We've seen him up here. They are, they are serving in their niche, their strength. And that's the way we should be doing. The church sometimes gets it wrong. And let's just see what this looks like. Because sometimes we just say, listen, we need you to serve in this ministry. And you may not be good at it at all, but we just need a warm body. Please, please, please. So please come and just do this thing. And stuff happens. All right, you guys ready? Oh gosh. Start. Music or noise came out both ways. <laughs> but when people are serving in your strengths, music happens. That's salt stuff. That's light stuff. And your strengths come about with this interplay of your passions and your giftedness. And they're the things that you just excel in. And you should lean into that. You don't need to become a salesman for Jesus. You just need to say, this is the way God has wired me. And I'm going to lean into it. And I believe, because I've seen it happen, that when you do this and when your friends see a person leaning into the way God has uniquely wired them, man, the light burns brighter, the salt gets saltier. We are all called to live on a mission and a purpose. We're a nation of priests. We are meant to usher our friends to the presence of God. 
But it doesn't mean we need to like adapt something that's not true to who we are. Find your gifts, find your passions, find your strengths and develop them and lean into them. And then I would just say this, listen, if you want some help with this at E3, you know, the fourth question is like, ask yourself, how do I get involved with this? We don't make people, I don't in case you know this, like if, if you're like, uh, maybe I want to serve on music, maybe I want to do this, we don't make you sign anything in blood or anything. You can say, Eric or Lori, I, I think I have this gift. I think I'd like to offer this gift to the church. Can I try it out? And we would go, yeah, let's see what happens. Because when people bring that stuff to the church, our collective light, guess what? Gets brighter. And we bring out the God flavors of the world. And if you ask yourself these three questions and we all just say, I got a role in the kingdom. I got a purpose. I wasn't just saved to occupy space in these oh so comfortable seats. But it doesn't mean I have to be somebody I'm not. It means actually I just need to be exactly who God wired me to be. And that's my story. That's a story of so many people who started out just saying like, I know so many volunteers or, or, and people who have, whose lives have been radically changed. Because like, listen, I'm passionate about students like not making a mess of their lives. I wanna, I wanna talk to people who are younger and at this really critical time in their life and they leverage that passion. And then they crafted the strength of being able to identify with young people and they emerged of giving their life to, to a ministry of just changing the lives of young people. That's my story. That's the story of so many people in this community have just started with passions, gifts, strengths, and just said, put me in the game. Put me in the game. And that's what God's calling us all to do. Put you in the game. Amen?